Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. As a church family, we are in week five of a series here at Hope called The Life of a Jesus Follower. And one of the, one of the major questions that we are seeking to answer through this series is what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? I would imagine for a lot of us being in a church service, we're saying, hey, I desire to faithfully follow Jesus. But what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? And throughout this series, we've made some pretty incredible discoveries from the Gospels. Because you see, as you examine the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you find something that I believe is surprising to most people in our country and to people all over the world. And it's this. If you study the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you discover that when Jesus was on the earth, his life did not revolve around a religious system. It did not revolve around a list of things you do and a list of things you don't do. When Jesus was on the earth, his life revolved around relationships. There were three primary relationships when Jesus was on the earth that were the focus of his life. First and foremost was his intimate love relationship with his heavenly father. In this series, to describe that relationship, we've been using the key word abide. Jesus' relationship with his heavenly father. The second relationship that was a priority for Jesus was his relationship with his disciples. In this series, we've been using the key word, connect. And the third relationship that Jesus' life revolved around when he was on the earth was his relationship with the world, those people who did not know God at all. And to describe that relationship in this series, we've been using the key word, share. And here's what we've established over the past five weeks. That if while Jesus was on the earth, his life looked like an abiding relationship with God, connection with his disciples, and sharing in the mission, then that is exactly what his life is going to look like now as it is pressed out through us as his people. And so every week of this series, we've been giving really this summary statement, the life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. The life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. And at this point in the series, we're taking a couple weeks to really examine this relationship with one another, what we call connect, the connection we have 
as the family of God. And Pastor Vance started that last Sunday by unpacking what the scripture teaches about our relationship with one another. You see, when we were born again into a relationship with God, we were also given a relationship with God's family. And as the people of God, we are not designed to just be acquaintances with one another. What the scripture teaches is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are hardwired to live in community. And I really believe that when you understand that, when I understand that, that as a part of God's family, we are brothers and sisters. And that we've been wired, designed, and called to live in community. It really changes the way that you view the church. So much so that all the time at Hope, we make this clarifying statement. Church is not an event we attend. Church is a family to which we belong. You see, because we have a relationship with God, we also have a relationship with God's family. And so this weekend, we are going to continue that conversation about what it looks like for us as God's family to live in community. So if you have a copy of the scripture, would you look with me at Acts chapter 2? And we're going to look again at verses 42 through 47 and continue to unpack this reality of what happened in the early church. Just in case you don't exactly know what's happening in Acts chapter 2, 2,000 years ago, the gospel was proclaimed in Jerusalem in what we now know as the day of Pentecost. And when that happened, 3,000 people on that day were born again into a relationship with God. It was an incredibly significant moment in this movement called Christianity. But something else significant happened on that day. A community was born. So let's read in Acts chapter 2 about what was taking place in this brand new community called the church. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I believe these verses give us a picture of community in its purest form. You see, what we read in those verses is not a fancy program. It's not a perfect structure. Here's what it is. It's the church being the church, living in community. And I hope even reading those verses, it, 
it helps you get a more biblical understanding of what community really is. Because you see, community is not what we do as a church. Community is who we are as a church. As the people of God, we are a community of believers. One of the the obstacles that we face in our part of the world is we are very, very individualistic. We like to do things on our own. And in some ways, I feel like that perspective for us here in the West has creeped over into the way we view the church. But we need to understand this tonight. The New Testament knows nothing of a Christianity without community. You see, because we love to live so independently, we have taken something that God said is a necessity and we've made it optional. And we're wrong. For the early church, living in community was all they knew because at the core of Christianity is the principle that we are to live out our relationship with God in fellowship with other believers. And in the context of Acts chapter 2, that was expressed in two ways. Large group gatherings and small group gatherings. And every generation of Jesus followers since this point have followed that very same pattern. So here's the question that I want us to wrestle with for a few moments tonight in our time together. Why is community with other believers so important. If while Jesus was on the earth, one of the three primary focuses of his life was his relationship with his disciples, why was that so important to him? And why should that be so important to us as the family of God today? Well, what I want to do right out of this text in Acts chapter 2 is I want to give you three reasons we need community with other believers. Here's the first one. We need others to grow in intimacy with God. We need others to grow in our intimate love relationship with God. In verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that these believers were devoting themselves. That's a word that means to remain, to continue in, or to hold on to. Well, what were they so devoted to? Well, the scripture says it. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and prayer. And here's what we can conclude. One of the results of these believers doing life together was that their relationship with God was deepened. Pastor Vance shared this with you last week, but I think it begs repeating because it's so powerful. In the early church, it was their relationship with God that had brought them into a relationship with each other. And it was their relationship with each other that was deepening their relationship with God. In in the New Testament, there is a two-word phrase that is mentioned over 40 times There in the New Testament. It's a a phrase that Jesus used, that John used, that Mark used, Paul used it, Peter used it, James used it. 
And every time this two-word phrase is mentioned, it's, it's giving us clarity about what relationships among Jesus' followers are supposed to look like. Every time in the New Testament where we see a phrase that includes one another, it is used to describe relationships in God's family. Here are a few examples. Be at peace with one another. Give preference to one another in honor. Be kind to one another. Build one another up. Do not complain against one another. Clothe yourself in humility towards one another. The list goes on and on and on. But the reality is that living out these one another statements as the family of God does not come natural. It is only possible by the life of Christ in us. Because we can't live out any of them on our own. It only happens out of the overflow of his life in us. So here's what that means. There are some things that God desires to do in my life. And he has chosen to use you in order to accomplish them. Because as I seek to live out the command of scripture, these one another statements, I can't do it apart from him. And he's doing it through me in order to bless and encourage you. There are things about God you will never learn apart from fellowship with other believers. But I want to take that a step further today. Because potentially for you, as I talk about believers in your life that are spurring you on in your love relationship with God, there may be a couple people that you think about. Some rock stars in your life who have encouraged you, who have poured into you, who have built you up in this journey of following Jesus. But I believe God can use all the relationships in your life to deepen your intimate love relationship with him. Now notice, I said all. I didn't say most. I didn't say the best. I didn't say some. I believe God can use all the relationships in your life in the context of his family to deepen your love relationship with him. For all of us, we have two categories of relationships within God's family. There are healthy relationships, and then there are unhealthy relationships. Healthy relationships are characterized by things like love, honesty, trust, encouragement, transparency, peace. And God uses those people. He uses those relationships to encourage us, to inspire us, and to build us up. God uses the healthy relationships in our life to deepen our love relationship with him. But I believe he also uses the other ones. We all have them. Relationships that for whatever reason, maybe it's sin, conflict, misunderstanding, difficult circumstances, whatever the reason, those relationships are unhealthy. And I believe God can even use those relationships to deepen our intimate love relationship with him. Now, for some of you, you may be having some thoughts like this. But pastor, you don't know him. 
He is the most selfish human being in the history of creation. Or you may have a thought like, but pastor, you don't understand what she did to me. Or there is no way God wants to use that person to deepen my relationship with him. We could say a lot of different things about that. And I want you to keep that thought in your mind or your heart, but I want you to see it through the filter of a statement I want to read you tonight by a man named Roy Hessian that he wrote in a book called The Calvary Road. He says this, Again and again, we see that the thing in us that reacts so sharply to another's selfishness and pride is simply our own selfishness and pride, which we are unwilling to sacrifice. That does not mean that we must accept another's selfishness as God's will for them. Far from it, but only as God's will for us. Every relationship in your life was placed in your life by God. And even though they, that person may not choose to walk in God's perfect plan, God can still use that relationship with them to deepen your love relationship with him. And I know for me, if I find myself at a place where I do not want to pursue rightness with a brother or sister in Christ, it usually says more about my attitude towards God than it does about my attitude towards my brother or sister in Christ. Roy Hessian went on in the Calvary Road to write this. It is no use pretending we are broken before God if we are not broken in our attitude to those around us. God nearly always tests us through other people. God uses the relationships we have with his family to deepen our relationship with him. So that's reason number one. We need others to grow in intimacy with God. Here's a second reason today that I believe we need to be in community. We need others to walk through the ups and downs of life. We need others to walk through the ups and the downs of life. All of us walk through moments of excitement and celebration, but we also walk through moments of sorrow and pain. And God has brought us together as a family so that we will never have to walk through those moments alone. Here in the book of Acts, there was a moment where a need came up. And I want you to watch what happened in this early description of the church in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So what did that look like? 
They're, they're living life together. They're doing life in community. And all of a sudden, someone had a need that came up. Well, let me tell you what they didn't do. They didn't say, man, I hope you figure that out. They didn't say, good luck finding those resources. They didn't say, man, you should go find one of the disciples. They didn't say, I'll pray your need gets met. No, they stopped what they were doing and they began sharing and selling their own possessions. And in the context of the family, the need that came up was met within the family. Here's the point. There was a genuine and sacrificial love for each other that was an expression of Christ in them. And here's what I believe. It is God's desire that Christ in us would produce that same genuine and sacrificial love. Now, at least for us here in North America, that's radical. But in the early church context, that was normal. So I want to ask you just a couple of evaluation questions today. Not that I want you to answer out loud or even write them down, but just a couple of questions so that in your heart before God, you can just wrestle and evaluate if you're someone in the context of this family that is walking with people through the ups and downs of life. Here's the first question. Am I meeting needs within the body of Christ? As you evaluate your connection in this family, can you honestly say you are caring for other people around you? I assure you, when you walk through those moments of struggle and celebration, you're going to desire someone to walk through it with you. And God has given us this family so we don't have to walk alone. I promise you, in a room like this, there are people here tonight, and they have an incredible need, and they're having to walk through it alone. That's why God has made us a family. So as needs arise within the context of our family, we can meet the needs within this body. Here's a second evaluation question. Am I using my gifts to serve the body of Christ? Not only am I meeting needs within the body of Christ, but Am I using my gifts to serve the body of Christ? In 1 Peter chapter 4, the Bible says this, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I believe every believer has been grace gifted by God in order to serve and strengthen the body of Christ. We're going to walk through ups and downs as a family. The question is, are you actively seeking to meet needs within this body and are you passionately seeking to leverage your gifts in order to serve this body? We need others 
to walk through the ups and the downs of life. Well, here's the third and final reason tonight that I believe we need community with other believers. We need others to accomplish the mission. We need others to accomplish the mission. Acts chapter 2 goes on in verse 46 and 47 and says this, Day by day, continuing with one mind, meaning they were all on the same page in the temple and from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And listen to this last verse. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. In all four Gospels and the book of Acts, when the Great Commission is referenced or given, it is always given to a group of people. When Jesus commissioned us and he said, go make disciples, that commission was given to a group. It was given to a community called the church. At Hope, this is the way that we define a church, a local community of baptized Jesus followers uniting together under biblical leadership to share in the mission of Christ. You see, the only way that you and I can accomplish the mission is together. The only way it's going to happen is if we as a community Engage in that mission together. In the early church context, their connection in community led to sharing in the mission. And I believe if the kingdom is not being expanded as a result of us being in community, that we are not actually living out biblical community. Alan Hirsch said this, God's church doesn't have a mission in the world. God's mission in the world has a church. In John chapter 13, I love how Jesus linked relationships within the church to the mission that we have. He said this in John 13, 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You see, the relationships that we have within God's family are to be a testimony to the world about the difference Jesus Christ makes. I believe that. I believe that when it comes to biblical community, we need each other. We need each other to grow in intimacy with God. We need each other to walk through the ups and downs of life. And we need each other to accomplish the mission. Currently, as a dad, um, I have two little girls. Scarlett is uh, three years old. And Reagan is 10 months, so they're really young. And we have uh, purchased a couple tools just to help my wife and I get our head around this whole parenting thing. 
And one of the tools that we, uh, that we purchased was um, a set of um, booklets that show at every age the perspective and attitude of the child at that age. And it's really interesting. For example, Reagan, right now I said she was 10 months. And so here's how it describes Reagan. Nobody sleeps and everybody smells. That's pretty close. But specifically, as I looked at where my girls are, kind of zero to one and then the one to three, I thought it was very, very interesting, the description of their attitudes in these stages. For example, Reagan, who's nine months, her perspective is, I need you. And anybody who's had a newborn knows that. There's crying, there's fussing, there's issues, because she very much recognizes her dependence on her family. But you go just one level up to my daughter Scarlett, who's three. Here's how this tool describes her attitude and perspective. I can do it myself. I don't need you. I can tie my shoes. I can color this picture. I can get my shirt. I can do all these things. I can do it by myself. And I thought it was very interesting in in praying towards today that the two really attitudes that my daughters have are the same two attitudes that are probably in this room as it relates to community. There are some of us who are here tonight and you realize I need God's family. I need others. I need community. I need people I can do life with, people I can cry with, I can laugh with, I can study the word with, I can live on mission with. I need God's family. But there are others of us, and your perspective would be different. Your perspective would be, I got this. I can do this by myself. I don't need other people. I don't need community. And I want you to know that is in direct contrast to the design God has established for his church. Because to sum it all up, I would say this. You need us. And we need you. We have been designed And we have been called to live life together in community.